uh, we're going to be looking at two verses in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And those two verses are just a very small, short, but hopefully we'll see tonight a very powerful prayer uh, of Paul praying for uh, a wee church that was sometimes struggling about what it believed about God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says this, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and has given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and work. Amen. So our series of which this is a part is called Praying Like Paul. We have through um, July and now into August we've been looking at what are the characteristics of biblical prayer. So Mark has been leading us by looking first of all at praying with hope. That belief, that's why we pray, the belief that God is in control. That regardless of how out of control we feel or how powerless or how helpless we feel sometimes uh, in things, that we pray to a God who is able to do all things, who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And then the second one was, was praying, seeking God's presence um, and, and recognizing a, a couple of things. First of all, that sometimes prayer is hard work. You know, that prayer is not just simply a case of going before God and asking for this. And God, if you've ever seen the, 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 uh, the film Bruce Almighty, um, where, where, where he gets to be God for a while and he just goes through everybody's prayer and just goes, Amen. You know, and that's not how prayer works. Sometimes prayer requires perseverance uh, and requires to be praying uh, and praying and praying into a situation, waiting for God's timing. But also prayer is not just something that should be, you know, a five-minute experience where we just rush into God's presence and just rattle off what we want um, and, and run out again. But sometimes... Prayer means taking time just to get to know God and spend time with God himself. Then we went to look at praying with thanksgiving, and that should be a central part of, of our prayer, that, that we, when God answers prayer, that we respond in thanksgiving. That when we go into God's presence, that we, we spend time thanking God for who he is. And not making prayer something where we're more concerned about getting the gifts than we are about being grateful and, and understanding and respecting the giver. And then TJ um, took us through praying in, in love, and it's praying for others with that sense of, of love, but also recognizing that not only do we pray for other people seeking the, the God's best one, but recognizing that when we come into God's presence, that's what God wants for us, that because of God's love for us, he wants the best for us and sometimes we struggle with that because what God wants for us because he knows it's our best and what we see and what we want sometimes is not necessarily the same thing and then last week uh, Jason um, led us to think about praying with with knowledge praying that as I mentioned a minute ago that we we, we get to know and understand who God is and therefore how God works uh, that we learn to pray according to his will, because, and it follows on very neatly from what I'm going to be talking about tonight, because there are big clues sometimes about what God's will is in the Bible, because God specifically tells us, and Jason gave us some very helpful verses, which literally say, this is God's will for you, you know, 
Um, so we know some from God's word what it is to pray. So tonight, as I said, we're, we're looking at praying with expectation. And really, this comes to the heart of why do we pray at all? If we don't have this expectation when we come to God in prayer that there is a God there who will accept us, then prayer becomes completely and utterly meaningless and pointless. If we don't have this expectation that when we come into God's presence that God will hear and listen, then again, what is the point of our spending time in prayer? When we come to God in prayer, do we have this expectation that because God is amazingly powerful and wise and just and fair, do we have this expectation that things will change, that circumstances in our life, circumstances in other people's lives, circumstances in the world will change? And perhaps most challenging of all, do we have this expectation that as we spend time in God's presence, that we will change? Because I know I've been married for, say this very quietly now, 35 years. And I know that the, the, that relationship that I've had with my wife has, has changed me in, in, in so many different ways. I am a completely different person um, now than, than when I got married all those years ago. And it's not because Lorraine decided he's not Mr. Perfect, but I'll just work on him for the next few decades. It's literally just that relationship that gives you a different perspective, that makes you want to put someone else before you. So do we have that expectation that, that prayer will, will be a changing, transforming thing in our life? I said this, that this is just a short prayer um, of two, two verses. And yet in this short prayer for the church at uh, Thessalonica, we see three things that should cause every Christian to come with a sense of expectation. And these three things are the source of expectation, the fountain, the, sorry, the foundation of expectation, and the power of expectation. So let's start, as Paul does at the beginning, with the, the source of expectation. And so his prayer is addressed to our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us. And it's interesting in these verses that Paul starts by addressing Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because normally um, in our Bible, if we've got this good Trinitarian tradition, we always think about God the Father first and then Jesus Christ his Son and then the Holy Spirit. But Paul starts by addressing um, his prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, recognizing that everything that we have and even access into God's presence begins with what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then equal with the uh, equal father and son being equal, he then prays to our father who has loved us. And it's that love of God's and the sacrifice of Christ that is the source of expectation that, that God, we believe that God cares about us, that God desires good for us, that God will bless us and prosper us. But there's a danger that we can read our Bibles and we can read about the love of God and it just kind of goes over our head and we just kind of move on. We just take the love of God for granted. We take it as, as read. You know, why wouldn't God... Love is, after all, the Bible itself says that, that God is, is love. And it's almost the same attitude um, as someone um, who asked 
when asked if he would repent of his sins, said, well, God will forgive. It's his job. You know, and we just take God's love, we take God's forgiveness to be just this casual forgiven thing. So beside the many, many verses which do speak about God's love, we also need to place alongside them verses that remind us that the Bible says things like once we were his enemies because of sin, that we were considered to be objects of wrath, that the Bible says that without Christ, that we were destined for judgment again because of sin. And part of the reasons perhaps sometimes why we we don't fully appreciate the, the love of God is because our Bibles use this word sin and we can almost just shrink sin down to this idea that sin is just doing bad things or that sin is not doing what God wants or something like that. And there is a truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. And so in our Bibles, when we read the word sin, very often the language that was there originally is much more powerful, much more pointed. Um, The Bible does describe sin as falling short, as failing to live up to, to what God expects us as people to how we should live in terms of truth, in terms of justice, in terms of showing kindness and consideration and thoughtfulness towards other people. Another word that uses is, is trespass. It's the opposite. It's not falling short. It's overstepping the mark and it's deciding that, that we know better than God and therefore we can do what we want regardless um, of, of what God says is right or good or anything else. Other words that, are, that we translate as sin, the underlying meaning um, is, is things like um, rebellion, to willfully decide that we don't want God in our life, that we ourselves um, will be God. I think one of the most wonderful insults I've ever heard was somebody who was described as a self-made man who worshipped his creator. I'll let you think about that one for a wee second, okay? But the Bible also talks about sin as things like evil, depravity, unrighteousness. And when we understand the full meaning of of sin, we begin to get the whole idea of, well, of course God loves us, goes out the window, and actually the question becomes, why on earth would God love us? You know, I don't know if you've had this experience. Imagine that there is someone who makes it perfectly clear they hate you, they cannot stand you, you know, and they go out of their way to show that by what they say, by what they do, They look for opportunities to to insult you, to embarrass you, to take you down. I had an interesting experience, again, many years ago when I was at college. I had a young man exactly like that, and he's the person that's in my mind when I'm talking about this. And he would just make fun of me uh, the whole time, and that was when he was being polite. Other things he he said or did, um, I'm just not going to bore you with. And I kind of turned into him one day, and I, I said to him, what exactly is your problem with me? Is there something I've said or something I've done that's ticked you off? My attitude is, you know, I, I recognize, I've described myself as having a, a Marmite personality. I recognize folk either love me or hate me. And so I said to the guy, is there something I've done that's causing this? Then he went, no, I just don't like you. What do you do in that situation? When someone just makes up their mind, I don't like you. And I'm going to make it known that I don't like you. And for 
We don't, you know, and that's how we treat God. We've basically just said, God, I don't like you. I don't care what you want. I don't care how good the things are that, that you ask me to do. I don't want to know. And yet the Bible says that the Father himself has loved us. So therefore, God um, doesn't um, love us because he has to. He doesn't love us because it's his job, but instead he loves us because he chose to. That God loves us not because of what we have done, but God loves us in spite of what we have done. And so the Bible says, because of God's love, it says that he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's, we are saved, we are forgiven, not because of anything we have done, but because God and his love decided, that's what I'm going to do. Religion says that if we do this and we do this and we do the next thing, then God will love us. You know, and it, there are plenty of faiths that, that, that say, you know, that, you, that you have to do, you know, you have to pray five times a day. You have to go and you have to do these things on a certain day. You definitely cannot do these things in, on, on a certain day. You've got to dress in a certain way. You've got to look in a certain way. You know, and all of these things, it says if you do all of these things and eventually, you know, you, that you'll either be good enough for God to love you or you'll buy or you'll earn God's love or you'll bribe him into loving you. But grace says God accepts us exactly as we are. And <clears throat> for some of us tonight, that becomes a challenge because we immediately, you know, our, our, our spirit wants to add something onto that about, yeah, God accepts us as we are, but we can't stay as we are. Well, grace, that's where we start from. None of us can come to God any other way than exactly how we are at that particular point recognizing that none of us are good enough to earn God's love. And yet, as I said, God chooses to love us anyway. And so this is the source of our expectation. Christ sacrificed for us the love of God the Father, that God treats us not as we deserve, but God chooses to show us mercy and forgiveness. A phrase I have said to people often is, the last thing you want from God is justice. You do not want God to treat you as you deserve. And thankfully, God doesn't. That's the source of our expectation when we come before God, that God loves us, that God, despite who we are, will forgive us, and that God continues to want the very best for us. Then we have this foundation of expectation. So Paul prays to our Lord Jesus Christ himself and uh, God our Father who has loved us, he said, and has given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace. What does that phrase eternal encouragement mean? Well, we, we've got a good idea what eternal means. Eternal means outside of time, no beginning, no end, something that doesn't change um, as a, a result of that. And we understand the concept that, that God is eternal, that God doesn't change. But because God, because God doesn't change, 
Neither does God's word and neither does what God do change. And so, for instance, this is one of uh, my wife's favorite verses. Lorraine will quote this very often. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? That's the nature of God. That basically God says, when I say something, you know, we talk about, you know, our word being our bond. Well, with God, that is the same idea to the nth degree. That when God says, I am going to do something, it is going to happen. When God says that I am going to do something, God does not change his mind and say, it's not happening. And so therefore, God's word, God's promises are powerful and unchanging. That's eternal encouragement. That whatever God has said, God is not going to go back on. And so when we come before God in prayer, one of the best things that we can do is to to take God's promises and to use them and to quote them back and say, God, you've promised this. And let me just randomly selected some some of the promises that God has made um, about prayer itself. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Or there are one that says, do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer, with petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And another one that was alluded to again in one of the songs that we sang earlier on, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now that's just three promises out of many on the subject of prayer. But when you actually look at God's word, there are promises in there not just about prayer, but there are promises in there about forgiveness, about provision, about peace, about comfort, about wisdom, about guidance, about health, and many other things besides. Before the service began tonight, I I had uh, made a comment about the fact there's a promise in one of the Psalms, Psalm 127, verse 2, there's a promise about sleep. So if any of you are insomniacs today, here's a promise for you to claim. Psalm 127, verse 2 that says that the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. So if you're struggling with sleep tonight, there's a promise to go and look up and pray over before you, go to, before you go to bed and before you put your head down. And I love the fact that God is so interested in our lives that there's even wee promises about trivial things like getting a good night's sleep. And the Bible says that what, no matter how many promises God has made, he says that all of those promises are yes and amen in Christ. In other words, all of those promises are fulfilled and guaranteed again because of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the love of God, of God our Father. So, do you want to pray with expectation? Do you want to understand what it is that Christ himself has done for you? Do you want to understand how much God our Father loves you? Then read your Bible. Learn the the promises of God. Write them down. Memorize them. And that's why this verse not only says that that God has uh, has given us eternal encouragement, it says he's also given us good hope. When we realize that God's word is true, when we realize that God's word is dependable and reliable, it says then we have hope. And hope in the Bible is not this idea of of wishful thinking. 
you know, when, you know, as I said this morning, you know, in, in Scotland, one of our th- great hopes is I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. And very often our hopes are dashed when you look at the weather forecast. In the Bible, hope is not this maybe it will, maybe it won't thing. It's the opposite. Hope is the, the thing that encourages. Hope is the thing that motivates us, the thing that empowers us. How often have you heard about somebody in a difficult situation, in difficult circumstances, and it's said that they never gave up hope? And that's what kept them going through that situation. And that's what hope means in the Bible. And again, there are so many verses that that teaches what the Bible means by hope. But here's just one. Titus chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, so that having been justified. Justified is is that word that, that means that Christ has taken the penalty for our sins. That all the wrong things we had done and that we deserve to be punished for. Christ has taken that, and so therefore, we stand in front of God with a clean sheet, with a blank sheet, because we don't have to take that penalty. We are forgiven. So having been justified by his grace, we become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That's what hope is in the Bible. This good hope, this certain hope, that we are forgiven and assured of eternal life, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us. Again, I had a conversation one time um, with a Jehovah's Witness and his comment to me was, the difference between you and I, Mr. McBride, is you expect to go to heaven. I don't. And I can't argue with that. Again, there's a verse in the Bible that says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. We're meant to have that certainty, and yet there are too many people who say, I hope I'll go to heaven. It's like hoping it won't rain tomorrow. They don't really know. And yet the Bible says we're not meant to live in that uncertainty. We are meant to know without a shadow of a doubt that we are forgiven because God has promised that when we put our trust in Christ, he says that all things become new and we are new creations. And again, it's got nothing. It sounds arrogant to say to folk, I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. And it's not because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven Because Christ has guaranteed it because it's his sacrifice that guarantees, that underwrites that promise. Nothing whatsoever to do with me. That's the confidence that we can come before God in prayer. That's the expectation that we can have. Our future can be guaranteed and can be absolutely certain because of Christ, because of the love of the Father. So that's the, that's the foundation of our expectation. And out of that comes the power of expectation. Paul says, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us encourage your hearts and strengthen you with every good work and word. I want you to just look at these two verses again and just notice this fact that in verse 16, Paul says that Christ and the Father has given us eternal encouragement. Given us past tense. Not just, not only is it past tense, something that's happened in the past, but it's, it's final, it's complete, 
it's done. And yet here he is in verse 17 praying that, we, that the Father would give us, that the Father would encourage us, present tense, continuous, that the Father would keep on encouraging us. Why is Paul praying for something that he just said a minute ago we've already got, that the Father's already given to us? Imagine it this way. Imagine that God gift-wrapped all his eternal, unfailing promises in a box and gave it to us. And I want to point out that this is not a box, but it does contain all of God's unfailing, un, uh, unending, eternal promises. But anyway, back to my box. Imagine God takes all these promises and puts them in a box. He gift-wraps it in, in lovely paper and then wraps it in a ribbon, puts a bow on it, and hands it to you. And you then take that box, and you stick it on a glass case, and you spend the rest of your life just looking at it and admiring, you know, how nice the paper looks. It's all nice and smooth. Uh, as I said this morning, when I wrap a present, it's covered in tape everywhere. There's big bits of tape here and everywhere. There's usually, if it's in a box, there's usually holes with, because I use cheap paper, and the corner has torn and things like that. You know, and um, I can barely tie my shoelaces, so the idea of me tying a nice bow and something just doesn't fly either. But just imagine God has given you this fantastically, this fantastic gift wrap box, and you just keep it and stare at it. What do you actually do when someone gives you a present? Apart from the fact, of course, being a good people, you are, you say thank you and show appreciation. What's the next thing you do? Well, the ribbon gets ripped off and the paper gets torn to sheds. And I have to say, I am one of these people. I cannot be bothered with sitting taking the tape off nice and carefully. You know, and actually, that, you know, it takes somebody maybe five minutes to wrap a present and I have the paper off in five seconds. And that's why Paul is praying that recognizing the Father has given us eternal encouragement. Now he's saying, that may we be encouraged. Open the box, take the promises out and use them. Put them into practice in your life. Experience the truth and the power of God's word for yourself. Not just something that you have in your head or that you've heard about, but to see God's promises at work in your life. To see God answering prayer as you as you look at God's word and you know what God's will is. I said to you earlier on, you know, when you read your Bible, are you underlining your, your Bible? Are you highlighting it? Have you got notes on the pages? Have you got wee bits of paper in there that reminds you about something that's said? Have you got bookmarks and goodness knows what else in your Bible? Or is it just nice and white and pristine and looks like it's been untouched? Are we so, are we learning to put the promises of God into practice in our life so that we come before God with this expectation that God does not lie, that when God says he'll do something, that God will actually do it. And as we grow in our faith and as we learn that God is exactly who he says he is, and that when God says he will do something, God keeps his word, that's what um, then goes on and, and changes us because the ultimate goal of this prayer, as is common with many prayers of Paul, 
is that we will be so encouraged by the sacrifice of Christ that we will so understand and experience the love of God and the power of his promises that we will be encouraged by the assurance of the hope of eternal life. All of these things given as, uh, to us in grace, given to us free of charge, that these things will change and transform us. I did say at the beginning that God accepts it as we are. God is not looking for us to change ourselves by our willpower alone. And although he's not specifically mentioned by name in these verses, it's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's his job who does the work of strengthening us in every good work and word. It's the Holy Spirit who works in us to renew our minds, transforming our thinking and helping us to understand what God's will is and giving us the power to obey it. It's the Holy Spirit who grows his fruit in us, changing our attitudes, changing our actions, changing our motives. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us his gifts that is able to equip us to do the very things that God asks us to do and enables us to serve him in the first place. It isn't as up to us to change. I said earlier on, you know, that religion is all about keeping rules and doing this and doing that and doing the next thing and doing this and at this time and this way and this place and everything else. And I had a conversation with somebody after the sermon this morning and I said, you know, I have to say, actually, it sounds like I'm downing on other, on, on other people and their beliefs, but I actually have a great deal of admiration for, for people that, in a sense, have that kind of faith. Like I said, my problem is it's the fear and uncertainty that has, but the dedication, the willpower, the commitment that it takes to follow those rules, I don't have that, you know? I say in all humility, I could not be a Muslim because I am not the kind of person that could pray five times a day, you know, regardless of where I am or what I'm doing or anything else. I would struggle with Ramadan and the idea of having to fast from, you know, sun up to sundown uh, and things like this. And so I'm thankful that when I come to God, the reality is Christ has done it all for me. And all I have to do is take and receive it. The danger, as I mentioned earlier on, is that makes us complacent and that makes us unappreciative of what Christ has done for us instead of it making us grateful for what he's done. So I want to ask you tonight, are you encouraged to know that Christ gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, that no matter what we've done, no matter what we might do in the future, we are forgiven? Are you encouraged to know that the Father loves us so much despite our sin that he planned our forgiveness, that he was willing to sacrifice himself through the person of his Son on the cross for us? Are you encouraged tonight to know that God's eternal, unchanging, powerful promises have been given to us in his word? They're there for us to read and to claim. Are you encouraged by the unshakable hope of eternal life bought by the death and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Are you encouraged to know that the power of the Holy Spirit is there to transform us in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions into the likeness of Christ? 
Are you encouraged enough tonight that when you come before God in prayer that you will come with that sense of expectation? And again, I want to emphasize this fact that there is nothing special about me or anyone else. And so if you're not a Christian tonight, then these encouragements can be yours. It's as simple as the Bible says, as confessing sin, recognizing that we don't live according to how God wants, and asking for God's forgiveness, asking Jesus to become Lord of our life. That means asking him to become our master, the ruler, the one who directs and controls our life. And there is one more promise that I'm going to quote tonight, and that is this, that the Bible says that when we do that, God says that he will give us that gift of his Holy Spirit. This is one of the other promises of God. God will give us the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In our words, God says he gives the Holy Spirit so that we might know that we belong to him, that we might know that we are going to spend eternity with him in heaven. This is the eternal encouragement. This is the good hope that God wants to give to you. And that can start today, that we come to Jesus just as we are, and the rest is up to him as we trust in him and as we learn more about him. Let's pray. The instructions of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commands of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than, abundant, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition to them, your servant is warned by them, and keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it gives us this assurance that despite what we have done, we can be forgiven, that there is no sin that Christ has not paid the price for, and that God has done that to demonstrate his love for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that your word wants to give us this hope, this assurance that we can be forgiven, that we can know that we are forgiven, that we can know that we have the gift of your Holy Spirit, guaranteeing not only our future here on earth, but guaranteeing our eternal future, Heavenly Father. So we pray that you would help us to come before you in expectation. Help us, Heavenly Father, to come before you in prayer, not as a burden, not as a routine, but to come to know you, to experience you, to learn about you, to see you at work in our lives, and to see you at work through us, blessing and touching other people as your word becomes real and powerful in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.